Do you like exclusive stuff? Yes, yes sir. sir. Do you like having access to your favourite podcast hosts in a way like never before? Yeah, absolutely. Do you wish you had access to our old Survivor Oz episodes that you can't find anywhere else online? Oh, yeah. If you answered yes to one, two or all of those questions, then get excited because the Oz Network is now on Patreon. <laughs> That's right, your favourite podcast has jumped on the Patreon bandwagon to enable a better listening experience for you, our listener. For more details, simply head to www.patreon.com forward slash oznetwork where you can sign up for as little as $3 a month. It'll be the best decision you make since that last bad one you made. You're listening to the Oz Movies Podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome to the Oz Network for week number three of our Good Horror Sequel Month. A step up from Good Movie Month. But this week, we may have to change it. We've been debating whether these movies are, in quotations, good horror sequels or good, in quotations, horror sequels or good horror, in quotations, sequels. I propose this week, maybe it should be good horror sequel? Question mark. episode uh, because the one that we're talking about today has long been thought of as a bad horror film the sort of getting a new opinion now that some people have admitted certain things were intentional all along we're talking about a nightmare on elm street part two freddy's homoerotic revenge and very excited to talk about this uh, because this is a movie that i grew up watching uh, grew up being terrified of and always thought this was actually one of the better Nightmare on Elm Street movies and then for years always heard it was terrible uh, but now I get to kind of try to convince some people otherwise we'll still admit it yeah there's some weird things about this movie uh, so get ready this is going to be our most bizarre episode or most bizarre movie we've covered yet my name is Colin and you want me to shut up? Full. I'll shut up no problem shut around buddy my name is Rossi, and you've got the body, and I've got the brain. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, too, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> Wait a second. I'm smart, too. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, you did mention a couple weeks ago you'd never seen this movie. No. But I think never like most... Nightmare. You've never seen even the original. Wow. So this is your first Nightmare on Elm Street movie. I've seen Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, yeah, which... not Nightmare on Elm Street. <laughs> we almost thought we were covering today. Yes. <laughs> But but I, you you did know the story uh, I guess know the story most people know the story of Freddy Krueger and you said that you were familiar <laughs> with some of the behind the scenes stuff about this movie that kind of made it infamous so uh, I think this might have even been your pick so uh, why did you pick this one having not even seen Nightmare on Elm Street? Well, I knew of its infamy and so I wanted to see it. End of story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I was like never overly interested in like Freddy Krueger that much. Like or this series, uh, so this is the only one that I really have any interest in watching. Um, not that it was like bad that I'm like, oh, I'm so disgusted with the series or anything. It's just like it's the only one I wanted to see, and I saw it, and, and I'm happy that I saw it. It is the biggest. Well, I, I would almost say this is the biggest departure from the series, but technically, Nightmare on Elm Street Part Seven takes place in the real world where the actress from the original is playing herself and Freddy Krueger comes to life in the real world. So that may be a little bit more out there than this movie. Uh, but this, I think, being the second movie, they were trying to evolve Freddy Krueger, his powers, the story and everything. And 
whether it was just that people didn't respond to it as favorably as the first movie or, you know, Wes Craven, who obviously created Freddy Krueger in the first Nightmare on Elm Street, came back in partial war for the third one, he kind of took offense to the direction they took with the character. So it reverted back just a lot of the the traditional guy stalks you in dreams. Um, But I always liked that this movie was something a little bit different. It was, you know, uh, maybe the next evolution of the character, and it's unfortunate it didn't go anywhere. Uh, I will also say, I I saw this as a kid, probably. I can't even tell you what age it was. I think I first was aware Nightmare on Elm Street existed as a child. My parents went to go see one of the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies. I don't even know which one it was. And I remember my dad's exact opposite. There really has never been a movie that truly scared me. I, I think things might be a little bit creepy, unsettling. But nothing really scared me. My dad's the exact opposite of me. He was a big baby when it came to movies. And I remember my mom was basically mocking him because he slept with the light on that night. And this was after seeing one of the later Nightmare on Elm Street movies where Freddy was basically a part comedy act. And he couldn't even sleep at night. So that's pretty much all I knew about Nightmare on Elm Street. And then when I did see all these movies, uh, I'm pretty sure I watched them in order. uh, But I always liked this one. And I couldn't tell you why, and, and I couldn't tell you why it actually scared me a little bit more than some of the others, or, or creeped me out, I guess is a better way of saying it. But it sort of all becomes clear now. But I had no idea about the um, the gay subtext in this film, <laughs> which it is probably a more fascinating story about the behind-the-scenes stuff than the movie itself that we're going to talk about here. I picked up on none of that until really YouTube became a thing (laughs) and a lot of YouTube videos kind of pointed some of these things out. And it's been another ever, ever evolving thing of just the, some of the people involved in this movie admitting, yes, it was intentional. While the majority of the people involved saying, yeah, we had no idea that this is what they were doing either. And and I don't know, maybe it seems, you know, too innocent or naive now, but uh, there's a, a great documentary that's like five hours long on the making of the entire Nightmare on Elm Street saga. And, the section on Nightmare on Elm Street 2 is one of the most entertaining things I've ever seen in any movie documentary. Because they will go for like a minute straight of it's every person involved in the movie saying, yeah, I, di- I didn't get the subtext. Yeah, I didn't understand. Oh, I thought that we were doing something completely normal. And then one person will be like, oh yeah, I got it all along, you know? Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's hilarious that even I, I mean, I'm kind of have a reputation for being a little bit naive, but I picked up on none of this until it was really pointed out. I mean, you don't pick up on the deaf out- girl in a quiet place. I don't yeah, think exactly. you're going to pick up on this. Fair, yes. I have to have things like this explained to me by my wife. But uh, but once it is pointed out, I mean, you really don't see anything else. And it kind of adds a new layer of enjoyment to the movie. I mean, just like touching on, like, I looked up the Rotten Tomatoes of the movies just because I was curious. It's like in the middle. Yeah. Um, it's, it's rated better than the fifth movie, The Dream Child. It's rated better than The Final Nightmare. It's on par with Freddy vs. Jason. And it's obviously better than the remake in 2010 mm-hmm. so it's like in the middle so like I, I was expecting it to be more dislike based on what you were saying it definitely has changed because i do remember like there was a time where okay what's the worst nightmare on elm street movie ever made and it was pretty much a toss-up between this and number five but it was probably more likely this and really i think that documentary is what turned it around because a lot of people looked at this almost mockingly saying you know I think they even joke about it in in the documentary saying this is the gay Nightmare on Elm Street movie. Uh, but once the screenwriter and a couple other people came out and said, yes, we knew exactly what we were doing, a lot of people changed their tune. And now it's sort of developed a bit of a reputation as being one of the better movies, which I'm so glad about. You know, whether it's for that reason or for the fact that I think it genuinely does have some great 
kind of scary moments in this movie. I'm glad that people are slowly starting to come around on it. Yeah, it was very tense. I was ex- I was surprised at how tense it, it made me. I think that like maybe because like maybe because it's like a little bit more cliche, but like this was more tense than The Strangers for me. Mm-hmm. Like I like I maybe because I knew what The Strangers was going to be about. Essentially, like there was no you know deviation yeah. from the like cliche. But like I don't know, I felt like this was way more tense. Like I was way more on edge. Just like I'm not sure what's going to happen. Like even though I sort of knew plot points and and things, but like I was on edge the whole time. Another thing that uh, didn't really click with me until more recently uh, is the idea that the the character is a male character, which you never get. In fact, the lead actor from this movie, Mark Patton, uh, I really want to see this. Uh, uh, within the last year or two, he released his own documentary on this movie and how this movie kind of affected his career called Scream Queen uh, because for years, this movie was also criticized because like, well, you can't have a male lead. Be not, now, I will agree, the screams in this movie, maybe they should have gone with a little bit more of a natural scream than having them actually imitate Jamie Lee Curtis with the highest pitch scream you could have. That probably doesn't help matters. Uh, but the movie's, I think, unfairly criticized because they picked a male protagonist. And I, I really don't get that because I, I think once I kind of let my mind analyze certain things, I think that this movie is a little bit scarier and a little bit more uh, creepy and unsettling because it is a male character, at least as a male watching this movie, you know, no matter what it is, even if you're not like so involved, I'm not saying one of these people who's like super involved in stories, but if you can identify with a character in even the slightest way, you'll put yourself in their shoes a little bit more. And I think that's why some of these scenes, you know, with with Freddie coming out of him really did upset me more than seeing Freddie just slashing away at some teenage girls in, in the other movies. One thing that caught me, um, in like thinking about the subtext and everything is it really felt like they just at the last minute replaced like the female lead with him mm. because yeah. in so many ways I feel like we are so conditioned to seeing like a girl in this situation like a woman in this mm-hmm. situation where they're like being toyed with by this like dominating male character and like in some ways like I could I could see why people wouldn't see it, but like in so many ways, I can't see why people can't see it because it's so obvious that like this man is just toying with this like teenage boy, um, and so I guess it just like felt so interesting the way that they decided to go with this. Like it, it just it really did feel like they just swapped him out for you know the um, Nancy with Nancy's character. Yeah, like, Nancy. It like it feels like they just like last minute uh, staff change. And I think one of the things that's uh, that's interesting about this is, uh, well, A, picking a male character. Because I can only think of one other horror movie that really did that, and that was, did you ever see the movie The Faculty? No. Oh, there's one that would be fun. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, the same guy who made Sin City, uh, Spy Kids, From Dust Till Dawn even. Uh, he made um, The Faculty, which was sort of about a high school where, I guess, aliens have taken over the teachers. <laughs> And uh, in that movie, it's actually a male character who ends up being, you know, the final girl, I guess you could say. But that's the only one I could think about with that. I, I would say that it, it's in this young range. No. But like, if you think of mm-hmm. like male leads in horror movies, like The Shining, like Jack Nicholson is the main oh, yeah. character, of the, even though he's like, although I mean, you could of, say he's the villain I mean, in that. Yeah, I was going to say he's like kind of the villain. But like, <laughs> in terms of main character, like, I think young, young, it would definitely go, you know girls and, and and young women than like whereas i feel like older it gets well, to guys 
I'm going to jump ahead a little bit before we even start covering the movie. Uh, the scene where, I guess it's almost a little bit of a seduction scene in the, the furnace, where Freddy's rubbing his claw over the actor's face and everything. Like, it is done very seductive. Uh, and apparently that scene, uh, the, the lead actor, Mark Patton, he was openly gay in real life. And they didn't tell him that that was the reason they cast him or wanted him in the movie uh, because they were kind of trying to go for this angle. Uh, but he wasn't even clued in on what they were doing until one of the crew members said, you realize that they're playing up on, you know, uh, some homosexual undertones here. And the original scene was supposed to be Freddy sticking his claw into his mouth. And that's when Mark Patton put his you know, foot down and said, I'm not doing this scene this way. Do it differently. I know what you guys are doing. Uh, but whether they did it that way or not, an interesting thing was brought up on the documentary is that, yeah, you could read it as, you know, okay, this is you know obviously supposed to be subtext, supposed to be replacing something else. But the other arguable point is that Freddy Krueger's backstory, which was sort of cut from the original movie, was that he was a child pedophile. So it makes sense whether it's boy or girl that he would have this seductive side to a teenager. So that's something that doesn't bother me at all. But uh, uh, could I jump in the movie here really quickly? Uh, a couple of... I guess myths about this movie that I kind of want to dispel as we go along. Cause again, I'm a little bit of a defender though. I could definitely see some flaws with this movie. Uh, the one thing is that it was rushed into production. Now it is true. The movie was rushed into production. Uh, they wanted to get out. It came out only like a year after the original movie. Wes Craven didn't want to have any involvement in it. So uh, he basically said, no, I'm stepping away. They got a screenwriter who wasn't a fan of the original nightmare on Elm street movie. Uh, so all that stuff's completely true. But even if you look at the difference between part two and part three, and most people look at part three as being like the ultimate Nightmare on Elm Street sequel, they had like an extra two months to work on part two. There's 12 months in between one and two, and there's 14 months in between two and three. So I don't think rush production is really any problem here. I think just took a different direction. And then uh, because they went back to the original direction, that's when everything changed. Uh, but uh, getting into the movie here, first I wanted to point out, I love in the opening credits, the, the one cast member, I'm going to have to look up the name and pronounce it. I wrote it as Clue Gaggler, which I don't think is his name. Uh, but it says special appearance by Clue Gaggler. Uh, the real name here is Clue Gulager. And this is the guy who plays uh, Jesse's dad. Now, he's one of the main characters in the movie. I don't know why he gets a special appearance, because when I look at his filmography, he done like some horror films, some B-grade movies. But it, it, it's not like he was this iconic figure from what I can tell. If you go through his filmography, I mean, maybe one or two movies stick out. I mean, did, was he just powerful enough where he said, I'll do this movie for, I don't know, the, the minimum wage if you give me a special appearance by to make me seem more important? Uh, but the opening scene always was weird to me because Jesse looks so different from the rest of the movie. And it bothered me when I was younger uh, because, A, he looks sick. He looks, dis like, disgusting. Uh, as in, he's physically sick. Now, I think it's supposed to be partly because his room is overheating because he even complains about how hot it is. The nightmare he's having when he's on the bus, he's sweating and he can't open the window. But it's just even aside from the fact that he looks... There's lots of scenes in this movie where he's having nightmares and he's overheating. And this one, it's almost like they filmed this scene first and then they decided, uh, that look doesn't work for him. Let's, let's, let's change it up a little bit. Let's put more volume to his hair. Let's take away the bags under his eyes. Let's give him a, you know, a makeover with the wardrobe. Uh, but one of the things that always made me laugh, even as a kid, was these two girls who were left with him on the bus almost being cruel for no reason. They're just sort of looking back at him and he's this awkward kid and he's trying to open the window and they just start laughing at him. Like, really rude laughing and they even say that was really weird because he couldn't open a window uh but this this type of bullying is kind of funny to me 
but uh, when the bus sort of misses the girl's stop and then drives off in the middle of nowhere, they're all freaking out. And uh, all of a sudden, the lightning comes and the ground starts breaking away. I mean, it, it again, it's a creepy scene, and they're sort of filming Freddy still at this point. Before we get to the third movie, it's a lot in shadows and all that. And he's revealed as being the driver. I love that Jesse is hiding behind the girls the entire time. And a few times you could see him actually sort of push them in front of him. It's very subtle, but he's definitely the coward here. Uh, but he wakes up before with the, with the, the blood curdling scream. Can we give our best Jesse scream here? I'm going to go first. Hold on. If you're, if you're game, I'm, I'm game. I'm game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> that hurts. Uh... Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's be honest. The scream doesn't help in this movie. Uh, I'm all for, I think there should be more male protagonists, especially because I say I, you can kind of identify if you are a boy or a teenage boy. I don't even remember what age I saw this. You're going to identify a little bit more and it might scare you a little bit more to have a character like this. But man, they could have given him a little bit more <laughs> of a aggressive scream. I don't know why he's imitating you know, the, the highest pitched scream queens here. Uh, but the family just blows him off. And, and this is one of those unintentionally funny moments where it's the family eating breakfast and he gives the scream. You only hear it off camera. And then the, 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 there's silence. And then the girl says, Mommy, why can't Jesse wake up like everyone else? And I don't even think it's that, you know, intentional that was meant funny. It's just, he, he's such a loser even to his family here. Uh, the sister's digging through the cereal box for some toy fingers. This is just going to be bothering Jesse because he had the dream with the claws. And uh, they're complaining about the heat. And the dad, this dad, oh, this dad is the worst. But he's also the best. I, I, are you a fan of, like, the grumpy, crotchety, you know, stern dads in movies like this? No. no. <laughs> when am I ever? These, these guys, it's, it's, it's hilarious. I mean, this guy is, he is the biggest dud of a dad ever. And I laugh at him for that. And I think growing up, I thought, oh, man, I'm, I'm so glad this isn't my dad. But this actor, Clue, Mr. Special Appearance by Clue Googler or whatever, in the documentaries, he is legitimately one of the funniest people I have ever seen. Every line he has in the documentary just cracks me up. I think maybe that's kind of what gives me a new appreciation for him. There's a great line in the, the Never Sleep Again documentary. People can find it. It's completely free on YouTube, various uh, forms of it, where they're, this is that scene where they're talking about, did you pick up on, you know, the the homoerotic undertones in the movie and everybody's saying no and he goes no when we were filming I, I didn't get that at all it's like i did get a blowjob on the set if that's what you're asking though and then they just immediately cut away from him like this guy's fantastic and, and as the dorky dad i think he does it well here you're not a fan at all it's such a dad thing where he's like there is nothing wrong with that air conditioner that a good screwdriver can't fix he's also the like dumb horror character who's like oh this house was really good deal even though i know someone was <laughs> dead in it like like that he's like two of the worst things like the really stupid like oh let's go into this haunted house like for for fun even though we're being chased by a killer like the stupid and the the just annoying character that i just wouldn't care for and i, I completely agree with you he is stupid he is annoying but i don't know the older i get the more i appreciate this did you ever see the um the movie A Christmas Story, the, the kid with the BB gun. I know. I've seen bits. I haven't seen the whole thing. I don't like it either. Okay, the dad in that <laughs> is like, okay, it, it, if you're not a fan of this guy, you would be a fan of the guy in A Christmas Story because it's basically taking this type of really dud, 
cheapskate angry dad and making it like full-on comedy but uh i don't know i like this dad here just how cheap he is like oh there's nothing wrong with air and air conditioner or whatever uh but um (laughs) so aside from the dad uh, i did pick up on a couple of things in this movie in the background there's a sign uh on the fridge they wrote down call Rhonda. Now I'm really curious who Rhonda is and if anybody I want to go back there and watch There was another one later where it was like Zach it. called later. I noted that later. So like they they update it constantly throughout the film about people calling. Yeah, continuity. <laughs> which is which no, which is interesting because of like isn't a lot of I remember in the original isn't there the phone where she, like the tongue comes out of the phone or is that The even, tongue comes out of the phone. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's like a a weird connection there. These are all people calling to say, why did you buy this house? I don't care how cheap it is. Do you know what happened there? That's why they're just like, call Rhonda. <laughs> she has big news for you. Maybe if maybe if the mom had picked up the phone and called Rhonda or Zach, she would know this and it wouldn't have been dropped on her later on. So uh, he does pick up Lisa, or I guess Lisa meets him here. So this is the female lead of the movie. Uh, and I don't mind her. I mean, typically any type of teenagers in any of these movies, I can't stand. But I think she's she's decent. These two leads are actually really good in this movie. Some of the other kids, not so much. Uh, he does refer to his car as the deadly dinosaur here, which I thought was pretty lame. <laughs> what, you mean the deadly dinosaur? She just sort of laughs. <laughs> like this fake laugh. Uh, now, the school always reminded me. I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. We covered it recently. But the Karate Kid. The school here always reminded me of the Karate Kid, which I thought was just because they introduced the school with, like, the, the kids playing baseball. And it's similar to, like, the first scene at the school in the Karate Kid where they're playing soccer. Both movies have the, the lead character sort of getting in a fight with another kid and, you know, getting punished by the, the coach or whatever. But this, I only found out looking through the trivia, is the exact same school that they filmed the Karate Kid at. So that's cool. Now, the first moment that I'm going to say somebody in the crew knew what they were doing but didn't want to be too clear about it. The scene where Jesse gets hit in the head by the baseball from Grady. I, I, Grady's another one of my, I think, unsung heroes of this movie. He has some great moments. Uh, but he's obviously turned his head and he's checking out Lisa when he's distracting. gets hit with, hit with the, the, the baseball in the head. But watch the editing because they show Lisa. Then they show him turn away. And then they cut to Grady doing his little swivel of his hips Grady's little sexy move playing baseball as Jesse's distracted and then he gets hit they don't cut to Lisa in the middle of there so I think they're already planting the seeds that this is you know Jesse struggling with coming out of the closet here with Grady I think they like unravel it like it starts at so much of like so much the beginning is oh are you banging Lisa yet and like and then at the end like that's non-existent like in the story like they make out and that's like even less of a point at the end of the movie, yeah. especially because he's like, he goes to Grady's house instead of going to talk mm-hmm. to Lisa. Like, it's just like they unravel it slowly. And I think that like these moments are like the start of that. Plus Grady doesn't really have a moment where these two guys become friends. I don't, I don't understand when that happens in the movie, let alone he's the only person he can go to. So their relationship's kind of interesting. Yeah, in this it's, movie. it's weird. Uh, but <laughs> And Grady, of course, what does he do? He pulls down Jesse's pants. So I think this is supposed to be reciprocated on both sides here. But it it ends in a fight. They have to do endless push-ups. The the mean coach here makes them do push-ups. And we get a little bit about the history about the house as Grady's telling him. It's like, you moved into that house where that that girl went crazy. This is basically describing the events of the first movie. Uh, Jesse has his first nightmare. In the middle of the night, he's checking out the bushes. And you see, again, in the shadows, you know it's supposed to be Freddy, but he sees somebody out there. So he goes outside. When he's outside, he sort of looks in the window and he sees, again, the shadow of Freddy putting something in the furnace. Uh, 
that's just sort of the end of it. This movie basically becomes from this point on, and I think this is one of the complaints I have now looking at it. Seen in the real world, dream sequence. Seen in the real, like it literally will go one for one from now until the end of the movie, which I think is you know a little bit too much. Main scene we got to talk about here. I'll just kind of uh, rush ahead to this here. <laughs> the, uh, after another one of the mi- nightmares, he does have a quick nightmare in the school too. Uh, Freddie does have that moment where he says, "We have some special work to do." You know, you have the body, I have the brain, uh, and then another high pitched scream. So when he's in class. He has a nightmare, and then the snake's wrapped around him. Now we get to the iconic scene of this movie. Uh, Jesse wants to meet up with Lisa, but his dad says, no, you gotta unpack your room. So, (laughs) Jesse says, fine. He takes out a pair of the dumbest-looking sunglasses you've ever seen, dances on his bed with a stick between his legs, essentially masturbating to the music. In which this stick, I don't know what it's supposed to be, but it pops a cork out of it as soon as Lisa walks in the room, or the mom walks in the room with Lisa. We basically have ejaculating dance here, which Mark Patton and the screenwriter have both gone back and forth over the years saying, the screenwriter and some of the filmmakers have said Mark Patton came up with this dance on his own. Mark Patton said everything was in the script down to Jesse ejaculates a fake piece of wood. Uh, after dancing around <laughs> erotically. Uh, not even talking about... This will eventually end in Lisa finding the diary, helping him unpack here. Uh, where, By the way, there's a couple of little things. Aside from the screenwriter who admits now that, yes, he planned a lot of the, the undertones in the movie and the subtext, the production designer also says he was gay and he in- intended for these things to be in there. Like the no chick sign on Jesse's door or the board game in his closet that says probe. Uh, those two things completely planned. Lisa's gonna give away the background as she reads Nancy's diary here. But man, this dance is what we have to talk about. Yeah, I think it's interesting because it like ends when she shows up, and I just think that that mm-hmm. that's like another subtlety uh, <laughs> of the whole story. Um, and like the parents talk so much about like who's Lisa, who's Lisa. Like this this Google guy is really interested in knowing who Lisa is. And then the one time that, like, he's trying to go see Lisa, he's like, no, you got to stay here, um, which yeah. is a weird thing that they made him do. Um, but, yeah, this was in there's so much music. Third week in a row, a lot of music. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's a crazy scene. I mean, it's believable. I think that, like, the exception of the end bit, like, this is a very believable scene. Like, oh, I got to do something. I'm going to blast music to rebel and all this kind of stuff. Like, so it was, it was a fun scene. Like, yes, the ending's a little weird. And I could see the debate of like, was this intentional? Was it not? Like, I could, it, it's, it's harmless in either way, but it's just, it's a weird choice. Did you catch the no chick sign on the door or the probe board game? Or had you heard about that no, before? I missed that. Yeah. And again, all planned. That's what's crazy about this. Okay, so aside from the worst ever ripoff of Risky Business, which results in masturbating <laughs> dancing. Uh, as, I mean, this, this set the precedent. This is better than that. Oh, that's the, yeah, this is the new gold standard here for dance scenes in your underwear. <laughs> Tom Cruise <laughs> wishes that he had this dance that he could have done. Uh, but as I mentioned, they, they do find the diary here in this uh, scene, Lisa and Jesse. And uh, I like at first they're reading through the diary as if it's just sort of a dirty journal. It's like, he comes to me at night. And then all of a sudden they're mentioned like, you know, he claws at my clothes. And then they realize, no, this is something different. Uh, 
the diary is going to be somewhat important. It's really the only connection to the first movie. It, it's the only part that, I guess, outside of, um, what was it, Grady saying, oh, yeah, there was a girl that went crazy in your house. Uh, other than that, you don't really need anything from the first movie in here. So Jesse's next dream is his room is melting. I mean, they really glossed over this. Like, With uh, the diary? just jumping in here. Like, they glossed over the fact that they found this diary of this girl who supposedly went uh, crazy or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, and it's not like it's underreported because what Grady knew, the father knew something before moving in. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. Lisa knew. Mm-hmm. Like, Lisa They lives really up- were like, yeah, she knew about the the plant, so like, why wouldn't she know about this diary, like this whole situation? Well, also, I'm pretty sure Lisa literally lives across the street here too, uh, because he does mention something about you being the girl across the street, or somebody mentions her being the girl across the street. Uh, I'd have to actually look at the geography as somebody just died upstairs or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but anyways, if Lisa's across the street, she saw this happen. And without spoiling everything in the I mean, first movie... I mean, everyone's in, like, a... So close together, because he, like... Later, he, like, leaves her party to go to his... To go to Grady's yeah. house, to then go back to the party, to then go back to his house. Like... They're around <laughs> so, like, the They're, like, in... Yeah. And, yes, they do say this is five years later. But still, these are characters who are... Let's say they're 16 years old. I mean, at 11 years old... You're going to notice some of the stuff that happened in this house because without spoiling too much, if you ever go back and watch the first one, um, it's it's not all in the dream world. There are some things that happen that would have been very obvious to everybody. So, yeah, that is a, a very solid point. <laughs> These people should know. I mean, it has small town energy, even if it's not like a small town. Mm-hmm. Like, it just has that energy to it. Like, so it doesn't... Everybody's talking. It just doesn't fit. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, Jesse's uh, next nightmare, this is where he finds the glove in the furnace... Uh, and the glove is just going to be something that keeps coming back throughout the movie. Uh, they, uh, he, he does say to Jesse here, kill for me. Uh, so Jesse's obviously going to be his avatar into the real world. They're starting to set up that he's going to, it's going to be more of a possession story. Uh, when he's at school the next day, this is where Lisa's friend uh, drops that there's going to be a party. Uh, and says, your dad's not going to be the DJ again. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to the DJ dad later on. Uh, back at the, the Jesse home, I don't know what his last name is. We'll just call it the Jesse home. Uh, Maison Jesse. So this is the other infamous scene in the movie, aside from the dance, the other scene that everybody mocks and says, wow, that was so bad, which is the bird attack, the the possessed budgie or whatever this is. Now, they're in the making of, they do show that they had a much better design for this bird that was kind of a monster-looking bird. It, it looked like a possessed bird. For whatever reason, they scrapped that, and they just wanted to go with a bird that suddenly went crazy, which looks awful it it is basically a bird on a stick that every once in a while just sort of zooms in front of the camera and the the shots they have where the dad's trying to whack this thing where it's like a pov shot from the bird's point of view and you just see the camera zooming right into the dad's face as he's swatting away i mean it is comically bad uh but this is what's going to lead to uh, of course the bird blows up this is going to lead to the the dad now being called out on the fact it's like did you know that this uh is uh something that uh, happened in the house oh no i don't think that's coming up yet no uh this is where the dad's blaming Jesse for it he put a firecracker in there cuz that makes total sense yeah i'm going to stuff a firecracker down this budgie's throat it's not going to detonate for probably an hour cuz the dad's in the room before Jesse is completely absurd but still i like mr mr google klugler or whatever his name is here 
I mean, that was the most out of place scene in the entire movie. Like the bird death. Like it made no sense to be. Yeah, like it was, like this that had like poltergeist energy, mm-hmm. not like Fright Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, like it, it just felt out of place. Well, just mentioning this here again, it's not going to bother you because you haven't seen the other movies so much, but one of the big criticisms the movie gets is that it deviates away from Freddy just being a guy who can stalk you in the dreams. Again, I don't have a problem with it because this is the second movie, and most horror franchises will find a way to evolve the villain's powers. When you just rely on the same thing over and over again, that's when sequels become tired. That's actually one of the reasons the Nightmare on Elm Street movies kind of burned out. Eventually, you have to do something that, that gives a little bit of a different dimension to it, so the idea that, well, Freddy stalking people in their dreams didn't work, so now he's just going to possess somebody, I'm okay with that. I, I don't mind the changes they made to Freddy's powers in this movie, but Freddy's possessing a budgie now? Could he not just have the budgie kill for him? <laughs> Couldn't the budgie just start slaughtering people at Lisa's party? I mean, it's, it's got, you know, the high ground. It's got an aerial advantage. Uh, it really doesn't belong in the movie, this budgie scene. Plus, even as a kid, when I watched this movie the first time, I mean, again, I... I I was genuinely freaked out by a lot of the stuff in this movie. I always laughed at this bird attack, which is just ridiculous. The next part here with, uh, the, I, I guess this is one of the scenes that maybe is considered unintentionally funny, although I do think that there's some scary stuff with it, uh, is where Jesse wakes up again in the middle of the night. And again, we re- literally are just alternating one scene where he's awake, one scene where he's asleep. Uh, but this one's not going to be fully asleep because he ends up, I guess let's say sleepwalking, if you want to call it that, through the rain... And he ends up at some bar. Uh, now, some people identify this as a gay club. I don't really get that at all. I mean, I, I guess they're going off of the teacher's outfit or whatever. He's got kind of this S&M outfit on. But, like, if you look around this bar, you've got men, you've got women, you've got bikers, you've got people dressed. It just looks like a place for everybody. I, I don't really necessarily get this as a gay bar. I would call it the red light district bar. Uh-huh. Yeah. Exactly. It's seedy. It's it's not a gay but bar. Though. I guess like the idea is like it's it's not conventional. Like you wouldn't go there at a regular bar. Mm-hmm. So it's like this like ooh controversial like and like we had the throwaway comment earlier about the coach something. I forget what Grady said about the coach. Mm-hmm. So like you just have to put two and two together and like Yeah. I, inference. I, I, like it it was just you know, leather and bar it, it was it was more of a leather bar if anything like it was it a little bit a, of everything <laughs> it just tried to look as seedy as possible and they did yeah that. yeah i mean and jesse walks in there i guess you know with his shirt wide open wow. dripping with water and his teacher dressed in this <laughs> uh unusual outfit you know sort of stops him and gives him a smile i i kind of get what's being implied there uh, but the teacher obviously just makes him run laps around the school gym and afterwards says, hit the showers. Now, if I'm Jesse and I think I'm sleepwalking and suddenly you realize I'm not sleepwalking, I legitimately just walked into this CD bar, this red light district bar. My teacher is making me run laps. It's three in the morning. Somebody's going to wake up at my house and wonder why I'm not there. Is he going to stop taking a shower? Is he going to say, you know what? I think I'm just going to hit the road. Like, I don't know why Jesse's stopping to shower here. Uh, but this being one of the other... Or why he should be running laps for yeah. walking into a bar. Like, yes, he technically shouldn't be there, but, like... Yeah, like, is he terrified that this guy's going to call his parents at 3 in the morning? He, you know, who knows? But he's definitely not stopping a shower, <laughs> at the very least. Uh, 
now this is where you sort of wonder is it a dream and i actually find this one of the interesting things about the movie is this a dream is he sleepwalking because he's sleepwalking does this work i don't know how freddy can kill the teacher in this scene but the, the, the gym teacher basically dies because as jesse's showering uh some weird stuff starts happening that the uh, the, the shower heads ejaculate. <laughs> Let's just say that's another thing that was obviously, you know, a little subtle thing the production designer put in, designer put in there. Uh, but the teacher ends up getting stripped, dragged into the showers, and whipped with towels. <laughs> it is a little bit comical, but the moment where once he's dead, Jesse just looks down and sees himself covered in blood and the glove on there, like, that's genuinely terrifying. Uh, and... Jesse, I guess, getting picked up by the cops, brought home, and the parents thinking, you know, okay, tell me what you're on. This is the one moment where I actually really think the dad, he comes across like a caring father. Like, he's he's not being, like, super, you know, lame, super douche father here. Uh, he's, you know, kind of patting the kid's head. You know, I just want you to answer one question for me, and then we'll all go to bed. Like, it, it's kind of a nice scene, and then him just saying, oh, no, I'm not on drugs or whatever. But, like, I could see it from a parent's point of view, but this is where my question about is this movie, as much as they are trying to go for the whole teenager, you know, in the closet type uh, subtext here, are they also trying to use this multiple personality thing? Uh, because I always sort of viewed this as maybe Jesse has multiple personalities, and that's why we see him with the glove on his hands. They never really give a definitive answer on that, though. But uh, still, I mean, there, a couple of funny scenes there, unintentionally funny scenes, but this shower scene alone, this is one of the most famous scenes in the movie. But I'll defend the idea behind it, because I think it makes it a more interesting movie to think maybe this is all in Jesse's head. I think, well, there's something, like, innately, like... I don't know how to put this, because I want to say, like, either, like, sexual or romantic about him putting on the glove like there's something like like almost like oh you're wearing your boyfriend's sweater kind of ideal like situation and i mm -hmm. it's just like something that like i thought about when he's first finds it like mm. he's like saying put it on and stuff like that so there's something like innately tied to that and then obviously you've got like all these rumors about the teacher and then he's getting essentially like bdsm to death <laughs> in the showers um like all of it like tying together um and like obviously you know it's raining so like the implication and like the showering all this like yeah. the characters getting wet and everything it's just like a little more heavy-handed in in, the, in some instances here like i feel like this is a heavy like push I, I, do you ever watch the honest trailer videos i've seen some I don't know if they've ever done Nightmare on Elm Street 2, but, I mean, they have to at some point. <laughs> uh, maybe we'll suggest it as the Oz Network that they have to do that because I think they'd have some fun with this. Um, but are you at all with me on the idea of whether this is the intention, like, whether this is what the story's supposed to be or not? The idea of this kid maybe dealing with mental illness, as much as they are going for, you know, this is about a kid who's in the closet and can't really, you know, uh, admit that to himself. It's also about a kid who has mental illness and can't admit that maybe he, you know, is acting out these fantasies. Uh, it, whether or not that's the intention or not, I think it actually can play that way as well. I think it, like, Umbrella as is, like, just, like, a struggle of, like, teenage and, and hormones and puberty and, and all this identity stuff. And, like, however you read it is however you read it. Like, they're obviously heavy-handed on some gay stuff, heavy-handed on, like, 
just like growing up and having friends and like all this kind of stuff. And so like, I think that it works however you want to want to view it or however other characters could view it. Cause the father is just like, Oh, this is a teenage rebellion. Mm-hmm. But like, there's more to it than just teenage rebellion. That's one of the things I think is interesting about this movie though. Cause even if it were just one of those two ideas, this movie's still about something. Is it always executed perfectly? No, but it's about something. And I don't even know if you could say that for the first movie. The first movie is a brilliant horror film, but it's not necessarily about anything. Maybe, you know, they're kind of going with the idea of parents not taking their kids seriously. But, I mean, that's, that's not nearly as deep as this. I think there, there's some depth to this movie, even though you, know, you have to get through some silly stuff to get there. Uh, I'm going to have a lot of questions here about um, some plot holes, I guess you want to call it that. Because when Jesse goes to school the next day, of course, everybody's now saying, yeah, Snyder's dead. Now, by the way, Snyder slash Schneider, different characters pronounce his name both ways. Some characters are pronouncing it Schneider throughout this movie, and some are pronouncing it Snyder. So it's one of these things where I don't think they really bother to correct people if they're mispronouncing or it. You know, it's, or it's like one of those details that's true to real life. Yeah, um, they're you know, really going for realism. We mess up words. We stutter, you know, like... We sometimes call we you Rocky. Lots of people sometimes call you Rocky. <laughs> uh, that was not incorrect. <laughs> That's now how it should be. Yeah. <laughs> she was right. We're all wrong. <laughs> Everybody else is wrong. Your parents are wrong. <laughs> yeah, no. But yeah, I just think that it's like a, a real life thing. Like, like, even if it's like me just saying, oh, it's really like they were doing it on purpose. Like, it's a, it's a, a movie element that we should just ignore. Like, yeah, it's <laughs> come on. Yeah, well, the part I'm not going to ignore, though, uh, and I'm sure there's some way we can twist this around and say that's part of the plot, but the clothes that Jesse wears that get wet in the rain before Schneider slash Snyder is killed, uh, he wears those clothes again two more times in these movies. And yet, when he's brought home, he's brought home wrapped in a blanket naked, because they even said we found him on the highway naked. Now, if this were real, maybe we can start interpreting that this was completely jesse sleepwalking and that jesse himself was never there or maybe he was wearing clothes in his dream but he was actually naked the whole time i don't know (laughs) i don't want to read too much into this but jesse when snyder is killed is naked he is brought home naked and the outfit he wore to that bar that was wet in the rain he wears two other times in this movie once more in a dream sequence and once more in the real world so uh, plot hole or not uh I don't know. You are you gonna let, let's let's create let's create a way to explain all of our plot holes here. Let's make this the smartest horror film ever made. Go. Um, he has the same shirts. <laughs> yeah, he just uh, has all of one outfit. He has multiples of the same outfit. <laughs> there we go. This is his favorite outfit. He bought three of them. I, honestly, I wouldn't be shocked because the father is too cheap to buy a regular house. Maybe he's too cheap to buy regular clothes. Uh, okay so when he wakes up the next morning uh, or I think it's uh, the morning after that because he goes to school the next morning this is uh, he has a quick nightmare and this is where they have the other connection where the the girls jumping rope the one two Freddy's coming for you comes up Uh, and the next morning he calls his dad out where he says yeah the people are saying that there was a girl who went crazy and the, 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 the they killed themselves and this and this and this and the dad's like well just settle down for a second I got a really good deal <laughs> and I even love when the mother's like wait a second you knew about this and he goes hold on I don't think you understand how cheap this house was we got real lucky but you know what I'm with him 
in okay, do you do you one hundred percent believe that? I'm not going to say specifically this movie that a guy can stalk in your dreams, but paranormal stuff. Do you believe in paranormal stuff? Are you a believer or are you a skeptic? Uh, I'm in the middle, but I'm on the believer side. Okay, I, I'm I'm going to be more on the skeptic side. I think that there, I think that the things people experience are real, but I think that there are scientific explanations behind it. If somebody said to me, "You can get this house for, I don't know, fifty thousand dollars less." Disclaimer, a girl went crazy in there. I'm like, okay, fine. How many people lived there beforehand that did not go crazy? I'm going to wager that nobody in my family is going to go crazy. It backfires on him, but I'm not blaming the dad here. I, I would have done the same thing. I'm just as cheap as this dad. Uh, but the dad still is denying. It's like, oh, all this is in your head. And that's when the toaster catches on fire. And first of all, this dad, who is now quickly becoming my favorite character in the movie, tries to put it out with a flammable towel. Like, if a toaster is on fire, I'm not going to whack it with a cloth or a towel that's probably going to be engulfed in flames in a second. But then he just notices, oh, it's not even plugged in. That should be his moment where he's like, Jesse, there's something to what you're saying here. But he's still like, oh, you know what? We got a good deal on the house. All this stuff is in your head. Uh, Lisa at school uh, starts explaining or I guess in between school or whatever, explains that Freddy died in a factory. I don't know. I'd have to go back and rewatch the first movie to see whether this is a plot hole because I swear that Freddy died in the boiler room. Like, the, the, the idea of the first movie is that he was a child murderer. They don't say child molester in the original movie because the studio wouldn't let them, but that was always in the script and that was always implied. Uh, and they quartered him in the basement in a boiler room and killed him. I think the whole point was he was supposed to be a janitor at that school. It definitely became the point later on in future movies. But here she just says, oh, he worked in a factory and this is where he died. Uh, Jesse has a bad dream about going to his sister's room. Uh, and he's got the glove. So now he's all nervous that he's going to kill his sister. Uh, another one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Grady <laughs> talking with his mouth full. <laughs> and it, literally every scene, in, not every scene, but every line he has in this one scene. He is talking with his mouth full. He cramps something else. He has to speak. Like it's, it's it, Grady's a really funny character. I think they, they need a little bit of intentional comic relief in this movie. Uh, and he also mentions about uh, him being grounded and he can't go to Lisa's party because he's pushed his grandma down a flight of stairs. <laughs> uh, third thing, this is a teenage boy metabolism. Not only is he eating like a pig, but he has three open containers of milk on his one tray. So Grady uh, has an appetite on him. Uh, and I, this is where he tells him, you want me to shut up for him? Shut up. I love this. Uh, finally, we get to the, the party. Now, there's a lot of quick scenes back and forth, but this party takes up a, over a third of the movie, probably close to a half of the movie. And we do see the dad on the barbecue here. Uh, and Jesse is going to uh, show up there, but he's going to get changed in the pool house. This is where he's wearing the same shirt. Uh, him and Lisa, he's not feeling comfortable there. Him and Lisa start getting it on. And then Freddy's tongue comes out of his mouth and attacks her cleavage. Again, this in a future Nightmare on Elm Street movie, this would be played as a joke. So the audience would be like, ooh, that's so gross. And Freddy would be like, doing something funny. But this is still creepy here. Uh, the dad eventually goes to bed too. Uh, so now the kids have the party. And Jesse's going to leave freaked out because of this. So... Uh, before we get to the big climax of the movie, let's just stop there for a second. Any comments you want to make on this? I mean, another very realistic scene, eating with your mouth full, full, exactly. mouth full of food that, you know, 
Um, like another part of that Snyder Snyder. Um, <laughs> and yeah, the whole like we talk about them making out and everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that was probably super creepy because like this is the first time. Okay, I will note first. Let me start. I'll note one of the things that like caught my eye the most um, was is like he goes to this like lounge room, bathroom. I don't even know what it is. Like a changing room at their mm-hmm. house, and like he says, like as a part of him like getting undressed or addressed or whatever, he's like, "I'm gonna leave. I'm not into this." Just as like nah. she's like entering, and I just thought that was a very subtle line. Yeah, that was very you know, good. I, I never caught that. Uh, it could have just been, I'm not the feeling the best, but it said, I'm not into this. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to leave. I'm not into this. Like, it was such a good line. And the, the way that I did that was very subtle. Um, and then it, like, sort of messes with your head a little bit because they make out. And it's like, um, what's going on here? Is this, like, actually real? Is this fake? Um, mm-hmm. And then when the tongue comes out, you know that this is, like, is this really Jesse? Is it, like... Is this whole thing just like a machination of Freddy? And so it's just like messed with your head so much. Uh, and, and I was so unsure of the whole time of like, what's going on? What is he thinking? Um, but just to follow it up, he immediately leaves and goes to see Grady. It's <laughs> just like another big th- in his room. Like, yeah. Sneaking into his bedroom late at night. <laughs> yeah. Like just all of the like signs here was real. It was just interesting how they did that. So when he does go to Grady, this is where one of the most famous lines of the movie comes up where Jesse says, something is trying to get inside my body. And Grady says, yeah, she's female and waiting in the cabana. And you want to sleep with me? There is no way we're avoiding that line. <laughs> now it's very obvious. How so many people in this movie didn't... You know, I, I just sort of th- thought that was, as a kid, a throwaway funny line. Oh, and you want to sleep with me. But we're talking about grown adults who have put... As as you just pointed out there, I'm not into this in the movie. Uh, S&M stuff in the shower. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Probe the board game. No chicks at the door. Masturbating. like They knew what they were doing at this point. How did so many people not get it? I don't know. Uh, but the rest of the stuff from here is actually going to be pretty good. I think that's... And you're, maybe you've picked up on something else. But I think that's pretty much going to be the end of uh, the little, little subtle... Uh, things they're going to throw in the movie here. Uh, I will say that the scene where he transforms coming up is probably the thing that always stuck out to me the most remembering this movie as being like so terrifying uh, because Jesse just says, I just want you to watch me sleep. Grady can't be bothered to do this. He goes to sleep, but then immediately Jesse starts transforming. It looks like he's, I don't know, got gas or something. <laughs> oh, it's happening again. Rocking back forth his stomach. And we basically have a American werewolf in London. I was just thinking that, like the yeah. same transformation kind of thing. Yeah. And, and these effects are incredible. Like, I think there's really only one shot that to me, now you look at it and you think, oh, I can kind of see what they did there. And that's the moment where Jesse's mouth is wide open and you see the eyeball on the inside. Uh, but still, it's creepy just to you know, look at that, even if you kind of know that's an effect shot. Uh, but so many things that happen here where, where the... the fingernails start coming out or the claws start coming out of his uh, fingertips and all that just this scene is still to this day I watch and I'm like ooh, I almost want to turn away uh, Grady freaks out of course the dad starts banging on the door now Freddy emerges from Jesse's body in a very gruesome fashion 
The dad, by the way, are you a fan of Ferris Bueller? Uh, yeah. Uh, this is the same guy who plays Ferris Bueller's dad. He plays Grady's dad, and these movies came out like a year apart. So, uh, typecast, but I think he, he he definitely got a better role after this. Uh, but I'm going to have another question here, because after Freddy destroys Grady, and the parents are banging on the outside of the door, and you hear the sirens coming, Jesse looks down. Now, Jesse's now back in his body. Now, we just saw Freddy rip apart Jesse's body. Grady obviously witnessed something, but my question would be, did Grady witness something in Jesse's head? Because now Jesse's there again. Jesse's covered in blood. So this is where I'm kind of going with the idea that, you know, multiple personalities or it's Jesse sort of acting out these fantasies. Uh, Because there's really only going to be, well, no, maybe there's some other stuff. I don't know. We'll get to in a second. But it's still an interesting idea, I think. I'm not sure because my original thought was like that the visual is only Jesse. Mm -hmm. But there's no reason that Brady would freak out that much if he didn't see anything. Yeah, like, I there's agree. no way that this you know, tough guy would react to Jesse just going, ah, oh, something's inside of me. Like he would look yeah. like a weirdo. But but then my question would be, was Grady freaking out or was Jesse imagining Grady freaking out like that? Uh, the scene that the pool later on is going to be a little bit more complicated to explain, but um, it's just weird that Jesse gets his body back after his body's been shed. So I don't know how that happens, but still it visually looks great. So I'd forgive it. I mean, if it was good, then we can just excuse plot. <laughs> That's right. We excuse everything on the show. <laughs> uh, so he does go back to Lisa's house. Now, <laughs> when she opens it, I guess she, we should also mention she was about to go find Jesse. So she opens the door and he's covered in blood. Uh, they're talking very loudly. I don't know why the parents aren't coming down downstairs at this point. I know they're ignoring the party, letting the kids be kids outside. But they, when they hear a boy walk in the front door and she's like, oh, Jesse, what happened? He's like, I'm covered in blood. I just killed Grady. Like, he is yelling. The parents should be coming down at this point. Uh, but maybe the parents aren't real. Maybe Jesse only imagines Lisa's parents exist and barbecue. Who knows? He's going to emerge here in the scene with Lisa. This isn't quite as gruesome as what we get the first time around. It's more just going to be a chase scene around the living room. Uh, but... Uh, he does jump through a door. He, he couldn't bring himself to, to kill Lisa in the scene either. Uh, but he does jump through a door uh, that suddenly becomes invisible and jumps through a door. The pool starts boiling over and he starts killing a bunch of kids outside or trying to kill a bunch of kids slash adults outside. Uh, now, again, I, I guess you could say this is going to be hard to explain, but I could also make the argument that Jesse is simply imagining that these kids are freaking out because of freddy and maybe they're just freaking out because he's covered in blood and he's wearing a claw and running around i don't know let's i'm just saying it could be open both ways to this movie whatever interpretation there is uh and i do love this one hero kid who tries to talk down freddy it's like okay okay man just calm down let's go inside let's have a snack let's have a drink listen to some music chill out a little bit and then freddy just attacks him like oh, mr hero guy <laughs> this complete idiot in these movies you know, all the horror movie cliches that scream runs through you know don't run upstairs lock yourself in a room uh don't say i'll be right back how about don't be hostage negotiator to a mass murderer, a supernatural half uh, mass murderer here? Uh, he's eventually just going to disappear uh, throughout this party massacre, and Lisa goes to find him. He's in the uh, the factory now, and there's really nothing else that happens here. We don't even get any other big action scenes. It's just Freddy cowering in a corner, and her trying to get through to Jesse. 
Uh, and in the end, Jesse just sort of comes back because she says she loves him. She kisses Freddie, which is a little bit weird. Uh, but uh, Jesse comes back and he's alive again. <laughs> Kid's got nine lives. I don't know if this is the best ending. If I'm going to be critical of anything, I think a movie like this that's really dealing with this heavy subject matter of being possessed, it should be more than just Jesse can fight Freddie off. Uh, give us something else. Give us, you know, that she has to kill Freddy. He's in the real world now. Maybe he has... The first movie has him with powers in the real world, and he's mortal, and that's how they kill him. Sorry, I just spoiled the first movie for you. But uh, this one, maybe it could have been the same thing. It's just sort of a, a bit of a... Casper agrees upstairs. You can hear that. It's just sort of a, a little bit of a, you know, downer ending. Uh, the final scene where Jesse's all recovered, he's on the bus, and they're like, oh, I'm so glad that's over. I love that nobody's mentioned I, the, the friend sort of mentions like, oh, that was a great party, Lisa. Nobody's mentioning the fact that, you know, Jesse, what happened to you? Uh, how does he get away with murder in this movie? They had his bloody footprints at the scene of Snyder Slash Schneider, Snyder Slash Schneider's murder. Uh, he has bloody fingerprints all over Lisa's house now guarantee there's going to be some evidence connecting him to this massacre at the pool and then he's just on the school bus but it's also i guess could be explained as a dream uh because in the middle of them saying oh yeah we're glad that's all over freddy's claw rips out of the girl's chest which is one of the best endings in any nightmare on elm street movie uh a couple of defenses i want to give here because wes craven himself who created nightmare on elm street the first one wrote and directed it came back for the seventh movie uh he's been very critical of the second movie and two of the things he's most critical of is freddy existing in the real world uh maybe the fact that he has powers but i'm gonna make the argument freddy was in the real world at the end of west craven's movie as well and west craven was extremely critical by saying that this movie glorified freddy as the the hero of the story because freddy wins in the end i don't see how that's the case let's interpret this last scene as a dream then does Freddy win? And also, the ending of the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie is exactly the same as this. And again, I love the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie, but this movie getting criticized for years because Freddy wins and you know he doesn't die in the end, that it makes him the hero of the story. The first movie ends with the lead character getting into a car, and all of a sudden, the car hood comes up, and it speeds off, and you realize Freddy's still alive. So it's really no different than that. So, I mean, I don't you, you probably don't have much to comment on, you know, the comparisons from this to the first movie. But I don't really view this as Freddy winning in the end. It's just sort of, it's what all horror movies do. If you ever saw Carrie, Carrie has an ending like this. You know, Halloween has an ending like this. This is just what horror movies do. Yeah, it's the idea that, like, we could always make a sequel or, like, there could be more added to the story. Um, at, like, like, in the beginning, there's always the classic, like, character gets killed to set up the story there's always that end like oh maybe they're back or mm -hmm. like they never lost or so i don't think you can see horror as a win-lose i mean and in, in obviously in the death aspect yes but like otherwise it's it just is you know there's no winning yeah and this movie existed because the first movie did the same thing i don't think you could ever i, I can't the, the strangers had that we just talked about the strangers the strangers had the same ending i don't remember it that well but um <laughs> remember the the, oh, the yeah, hospital yeah. scene at the end of it yeah it's been a whole week people <laughs> forgive us i will say i do feel like the ending was a little like classic like final girl attitude of like going to spite the villain mm -hmm. um 
which I mean, I could have done without because I felt like the whole movie was against that the whole time. And then all of a sudden they were like, we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could have done without that. Although it was very different. It wasn't like a fight, you know, like a standoff situation. It was like sort of like a, a fight through words. Like, yeah. So I think that that was like a good twist to it. And I, I thought it was interesting that like he was like, it was like a shield, or like a skin that he was underneath. And I just think that like, and that like, tying together with like what their relationship is, like Freddie and Jason, not Freddie and Jason. <laughs> <laughs> couple decades away (laughs) so i thought it was an interesting albeit anticlimactic way to end the movie so uh as you mentioned this movie's gotten a reputation over the years for being like the worst nightmare on elm street movie that's sort of turned around now but even based on the reviews it got at the time it got 43 percent on rotten tomatoes which is not bad i mean it's, it's nowhere near what the first movie has uh but this wasn't like a hated movie when it first came out uh box office uh another thing i want to sort of dispel the myth on is that this movie bombed and they had to bring Wes craven back for the next movie again the difference between these movies this movie is always criticized for saying oh it was a rush sequel and they had to bring Wes craven back because nobody liked this one it got 43 percent that for, for a teen slasher movie that's pretty good for a critical response for uh the turnaround time between the movies again nightmare on elm street 2 came out just barely over a year after this one so it wasn't like that was any more or less rush than this and box office uh if you're ranking all the nightmare on elm street movies now this movie made just under 30 million dollars the first nightmare on elm street movie made 25 and a half million dollars so this is a good percentage higher uh, as far as overall box office gross than the first movie had so the idea that this movie bombed and that nobody liked it, I mean, really, you know, it, it's not comparable to the first movie as far as, like, the audience and critical response, but still decent for horror movies of this time. And box office, not bad at all. Uh, it opened fourth place with $2.8 million on the same weekend as Death Wish 3 and To Live and Die in L.A. Are you a fan of either of those movies? Do you want to cover Death Wish 3 or To Live and Die in L.A. so we could round out the weekend of... What is this? November first to third, nineteen eighty-five. I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> That's just gonna be Rossi's. I'm good. <laughs> uh, overall, yeah, thirty million dollars. So uh, this outgrosses the first Nightmare on Elm Street movie among all nine El- uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies. If you include the remake, uh, this is still ranked number six. So the first Nightmare on Elm Street made less than this. Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child made less than this. And the one that Wes Craven sort of tried to reboot the series with New Nightmare made uh, easily the least out of the the whole series, $18 million. Freddy vs. Jason, of course, is number one in this. And then the 2010 remake, which is an awful movie uh, because it came out in 2010, obviously made more money, $63 million. Um, I'm going to have a lot of fun with our plot keywords, so I'm going to save that for last. I was debating whether I wanted to go with a one-star review for this or a 10-star review, but I think because this movie was sort of lumped in as a bad horror movie for so long, I want to read a uh, 10-star review here, uh, or a couple of them. There's one that's particularly funny because they make no point whatsoever, uh, but just quickly going through uh, this one, Jurgen Prochnov said, uh, 10, 10 out of 10 reviews, Jesse is my favorite character from all Nightmares, I know this is a movie about Freddy, but I hate murderers and pedophiles. <laughs> Actor who play him did a great job. 
I, and he keeps saying now, by the way, not no. So I'm going to read this exactly the way he wrote it. Jesse is my favorite character from All Nightmares. I now, this is movie about Freddy, but I hate murderers and pedophiles. Actor who play him did great job. I now that this movie have double subplot, and I think his great idea to mixed with Nightmare Story. That's why this movie have deeper meaning, and I love it for that more than others. It's the darkest from All Nightmares and have creative script. Definitely it's the best from All Nightmares, and I rated 10 from 10 stars in horror scale. Translation? The guy liked it, I guess. Uh, here's my favorite one. Now, tell me if this is a review or is this just a history lesson on this guy's experience with the movie. Ross Robinson uh, wrote The Second Dreamers, gave it 10 out of 10, and said, I remember when I saw A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 when I saw it after 1985. This was released a year after the first Nightmare on Elm Street, when that was released in 1984. The second Nightmare on Elm Street is set in the same Elm Street house, a different family, and is five years after the other family. Can we give, like, a rating, a one out of ten? Are we going to buy, rent, or bin that guy's review? Bin. <laughs> We're going to bin his review. Uh, that's fair. Uh, but still, I agree that he gave it 10 out of 10. I'm not going to give it 10 out of 10, but still. All right, so Nightmare on Elm Street uh, Part 2. Let's run through... The plot keywords, this is what we do plot keywords for, people. Uh, who else isn't dying for us to talk about crotch grab month? We're going to be talking about The Gentleman, Thor Ragnarok, Gladiator, or Call Me By Your Name. Uh, I'm sure we could also get a... Lo- <laughs> I'm going to save that one for last. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, we can get a lot of mileage out of Talking With Mouthful of Food month, uh, where we could be talking about Mommy... A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, In Search of Fellini, and Fan Duel Fall 2019 Hot Dog Contest. I don't know what it is, but we have to cover it. I am uh, glad that there is a villain not really dead cliche plot keyword. So we could do a villain not really dead cliche month with Guardians of the Galaxy, Baby Driver, Saw, and Avatar. And by the way, for Wes Craven's complaint about the ending of this movie, Makes Freddy the Hero. Uh... Another movie that happens to be listed on villain not really dead cliche is Nightmare on Elm Street Part 1. Uh, again, I like Wes Craven, just I think his criticism is movie stupid. And here we go. If we're going to do anything next year, Rossi, give me a yes or no. Do you or do you not want to be involved in reference to a wet dream month? No. Casper's screaming about that. Come on, we could be covering a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Society, a Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, Open Windows. Two out of the four movies of references to Wet Dreams are from Nightmare on Elm Street, so I think the screenwriters are a fan of that. Okay, so buy it, rent it, or bin it. Uh, I'm going to go against type, and I'm going to buy it. <laughs> You're going to buy it? Yes! <laughs> that's your first buy of this month, and you've liked the other two movies, so that's good. <laughs> wow. It's been bad, but like nothing stood out too much. And this is the movie that's questionable. Good horror sequel with a question mark? Uh, and it's the one where I'm like, oh, it's subjective, people. Uh, but what's your reason for buying it? It's the most interesting concept. I feel like it fits the theme the most. Good horror sequel. And I just I thought it was interesting. I think that they worked all the subtleties in well here. Not that the other movies didn't. I don't know. I just I just like I don't know. I, I don't have too many words. I like. I 100 percent agree with you. I'm buying this movie. Uh, I thought it was the scariest Nightmare on Elm Street movie when I was a kid. Uh, I think it's the most interesting Nightmare on Elm Street movie now. I mean, the first one's definitely a better movie. 
if you're just looking at all around entertainment, I definitely recommend the first one. But I think of all the sequels, this is probably the best, including uh, Freddy vs. Jason, which is a blast, but, you know, a, a brainless movie. Uh, so there we go. We got two pies for A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, people. Suck it, Wes Craven. Rossi agrees. All right. So next week, we got our main event for Good Horror Sequel Month, Doctor Sleep. Jamie is going to be joining us for this one because she loves Doctor Sleep. She loves The Shining. And I know when we started this month, you said you hadn't seen any of these movies, but you did tell me, I don't know if it was on air or off air, that you had watched The Shining. So have you watched Doctor Sleep yet, or are you, you waiting? To, you're waiting. I have a story about that, so I'll save it for the episode. Okay, there you go. There's our cliffhanger, people. This is our equivalent of Freddy's claws come through random girl's chest. Rossi's got a story. <laughs> yes, I'm going to kill someone and... Uh... <laughs> Well, not that kind of story. I was just mean that's our that's our surprise ending. Hey, there's a sequel coming, people. Um, oh, okay. But The Shining, you have seen that, so this is going to make sense to you. Uh, I I didn't see this until very recently, so I think this movie came out a couple of years ago. But I I remember The Shining, you know, seeing that when I was young, probably a little bit older than I watched Nightmare on Elm Street Part Two. Uh, my mother was not a terrible mother; she didn't just subject us to these movies as children. I should say maybe like I don't know, eleven or twelve or whatever. And uh, I heard this movie was great, and I watched it a couple months ago, and um, I, I'll save my opinion for when we get to the episode, but uh, I, Jamie is a huge fan of this, so Jamie's going to be coming back, so it's going to be a triple threat next week for Doctor Sleep. And it's a three-hour-long movie, so let's start watching it now, and maybe we'll be done by the time we get there next week. So, excited for it, though, Rossi? Sorry. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Excited, me too. All right, so stay tuned for that. Uh, also, I can't remember if I teased it last week or not, but we are as long as everything goes according to plan. Within 24 hours of when we record, did this episode? You may have already heard it already. If we rush to get it out, we're going to be doing one of the biggest interviews we've ever done in the Oz Network. Uh, one of the biggest stars you've ever interviewed. Somebody we're very excited about, and it's going to be a cross podcast interview. And if it didn't happen, then let's forget I ever talked about this. But if you already Madonna? see it up and you know it's who? Madonna? It's not Madonna. Thankfully, it's not Madonna. Because I'm going to be on this one. Uh, I'll, I'll let you know off air. <laughs> but you'll want to download it. I'm sure it's going to be a great interview. Uh, so look for it now. If you see it and you're excited, then you know what I'm talking about. If you don't see it yet, then just wait a little longer. If when we come back next week, we say it didn't happen then we're sorry we apologize uh thank you everybody for joining us stay tuned for all of our plugs on the end my name is colin and i think you put a firecracker in that bird um i'm gonna go i'm not into this Thanks for downloading this episode from the Oz Network. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast by Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, or by copying our RSS feed into your preferred podcast provider. And while you're there, please drop us a rating and leave us some feedback. You can also be sure to stay up to date with all the latest episodes and happenings from the show, as well as find out how you can get involved in upcoming episodes by following our social media pages on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as well as getting everything you need under one roof at the oznetwork.net. Thanks once again for listening, and we'll speak to you next time.